Good morning. It's good to see everyone here, and thanks for joining us here. Uh, thanks for joining us online as well. Uh, it's uh, good to be together. I'm very, very thankful for that. My name is Chris. I uh, get to serve as the lead pastor here, and if I've not met you yet, um, I apologize for that. Uh, but uh, please don't hesitate to, uh, to say hello, uh, maybe on your way out or sometime. You know, drop me a message throughout the week. I'd love to connect with you, get to know you, and uh, hear your story. Uh, so I have a confession for you this morning. I need to confess something to you. Um, is that I love shoes. Anyone else love shoes? Yes. Yeah. Like some of you are like, yes. Others of you are like, Look at me. Yeah, so I, I love shoes. Um, all sorts of different shoes. I have too many shoes. Um, that's the one thing where I, I may pay attention to. You may have noticed that I don't have a whole lot of fashion sense. Um, and the color palette that I wear ranges somewhere from like a light gray to a black. Um, that's about the color palette. So if I wear something different, there's always someone that's like, oh, you wore a color today. Yes, I did. This is a color as well. But I love shoes. And shoes are something I think I started really liking when I watched Michael Jordan as a kid. I just loved Jordans, and I watched them come out. I never had a pair of Jordans, but I would watch friends and family members have these, and, and I just, I love them. And recently, this year, when we were in New York City in Chicago, we stopped by some stores, and they had all the classic Jordans and all the different shoes just displayed in beautiful ways. I mean, thousands of dollars for some of these shoes uh, these retro shoes and just beautiful shoes, uh, but I love different shoes. And I've noticed uh, many of your shoes uh, each week. That may be creepy to you, um, but, and I apologize, uh, but that's something I noticed when people walked in. Actually, to Greg, I complimented his shoes this morning uh, when I walked by him. But I love shoes. And um, there's a saying in our, our culture about walking a mile in someone's shoes. And what that means is that we... We try to understand who they are. We try to understand their perspective. We try to understand where they're going, where they've been in life. And this is just a, a great uh, human connection. And Jesus, I love when he met people, he would meet them where they're at. He would often talk about their story, their history, their family relations, whatever it may be. He would seek to understand them, that he would know where they're going. But he would always bring about a change. He would challenge them in a different way. And he always challenged them with great compassion, and I love how Jesus' heart went out to people, that he always looked at them as the imago Dei, like the image of God. There's the image of God within each person that were created in the image of God. And that he saw that and he led with that compassion. And so here in this series, Elephants, we're looking at elephants in the room. And we are in week two of seven weeks where we're addressing some different elephants that we know are in the room. We don't necessarily want to talk about, or some of you may be eager to talk about them, uh, but there's, uh, there's elephants that we have around us. And the heart of the series is to equip us as a church really to think well, to think through issues, not just to talk, but to really listen, to understand, um, to understand what Scripture has to say. Because ultimately, it's, it's about, as Paul taught, is that we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. We have all sorts of thoughts all week long, all day long, and are we making them obedient to Christ? And what are they rooted in? Where do they come from? And that we want to have, again, as Paul taught, the mind of Christ. We want to think well so we act well so we speak well. Last week I presented an intro message. And if you've not listened to that and you're going to participate in the series, I encourage you to go back and listen. It's really a foundation of 
where we're going and how we're approaching this. And I want to give you just a snapshot this morning of some things that I said. First, I am going to do my best to present Scripture to you. I'm going to do my best to unpack the Word, recognizing that we all have a certain hermeneutic, a certain lens that we read Scripture from. And we bring biases and opinions and thoughts and um, experiences into our reading. And so I'm going to do my best to look into Scripture and ask you to do the same. The second thing I said is that you will be, I used the word offended, and uh, some of you repeated back to me uh, what I said last week about equally offending everyone uh, being a goal. It's not really a goal, but really the, the truth is, is that the word brings about conviction. It should bring about conviction. And so you may call it offense, but we need to unpack it and see if it's really conviction. And I challenge saying if we're never convicted by looking into the word of God, one of two things may have happened. One, that you've stopped listening to God's spirit, so therefore, when you open the word, when you hear something, nothing impacts you, changes you, challenges you. Or you may have made God into your image, where I said that, you know, if God speaks the same way you do, votes the same way you do, same view on uh, sexuality, same view on whatever it is, um, that maybe you've made God into your image instead of you being made into God's image. And those are both dangerous spots to be. Because we want to we take on the image of, of Jesus and, and follow in that. And I also said so we're going to be invited into conversation. Because it's important to listen. Jesus would have conversations. And in those conversations, as I already mentioned, he led with compassion always. So some of you go in like fighting and you've got your like one or two things you say and you just repeat. Um, and you're not leading with compassion. That's not a Jesus lead into a conversation. Um, it, but Jesus led with compassion and conviction. Jesus never wavered from any sort of, um, of conviction that he had, but he also continued this conversation on. So there was compassion, there was conviction, and there was this continuation that was going on. So here we are today. You ready to jump into our first topic? All right, there's enthusiasm here. There's enthusiasm last service too. We'll see how that like wanes throughout the morning. Because uh, it did in first service. So this is what I did in first, and so I'm going to do it with you too. Is everyone, we're going to start with a deep breath, all right? We're going to do one more, all right? All right, good. All right, I want to begin by reading what someone wrote about this topic. And just allow this to, to wash over you, however it may be. And, uh, and then we're going to take a deep breath after I read this, okay? We're going to do that a couple times today. All right, here we go. It says, this person wrote, it is a sin, it's damnable, evil, it could exclude a person from the kingdom of God. It's so bad that God destroyed an entire city that was engaged in it. And Jesus says that those who practice it are liable to face judgment rather than salvation when he returns. And those who think that they can continue to practice it and still think they are genuine followers of Christ are deceiving both themselves and others. Still, our culture has accepted it as a virtue instead of a vice. Even our Christian culture is letting it slip into our churches unnoticed. We sometimes applaud it and place people in leadership who are too weak to preach against it. Many churches, if they are not actively endorsing it, try to remain neutral. But neutrality is nothing more than endorsement covered in sheep's clothing. Okay, deep breath again. What am I talking about? I want to say it's probably not what you think I'm talking about. Let's turn to Genesis 4. 
and see if we can unpack and uncover what I'm talking about here this morning. I'm starting Genesis 4. Genesis 4, starting in verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. All right, so let's go back to this story here. Let's think about this story. Both Cain and Abel worked hard. Abel cared for his animals. Cain farmed the lands, his crops. Both Cain and Abel brought an offering to the Lord. Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil. Abel brought fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. But only one of them found favor with God. That was Abel, who brought the fat portions from his firstborn. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we find out that it's because of faith that God honored Abel's offering. Cain's motivation when he gave was because it was expected. It was an obligation to him. When Abel came, it was an act of faith. It was a choice to trust God. Now, sadly, the story does not end there, with, as it says there, with Cain's being very angry and his face being downcast. You know, the story, Cain's anger turned to murder and he killed his brother, Abel. Now, again, in this narrative, there's two types of givers, one who gives out of faith and one who gives out of obligation. And in this room today and online today, there's three categories of people. People like Abel, freely giving by faith, freely expressing joy that way. Those like Cain who give out of obligation or expectation. And then there's a third category, deep breath, those who have never given anything to God. So what is today's elephant in the room? Talking about money. And the crowd goes, <sighs> Listen again, when I read this, thinking now of money, thinking of misuse of wealth, thinking of this. It's a sin. It's damnable. It's evil. It could exclude a person from God's kingdom. It's so bad that God destroyed an entire city that was engaged in it. And Jesus says that those who practice it are liable to face judgment rather than salvation when he returns. And those who think that they can continue to practice it and still think they are genuine followers of Christ are deceiving both themselves and others. Still, our culture has accepted it as a virtue instead of a vice. Even our Christian culture is letting it slip into our churches unnoticed. We sometimes applaud it and place people in leadership who are too weak to preach against it. Many churches, if they are not actively endorsing it, try to remain neutral. But neutrality is nothing more than endorsement covered in sheep's clothing. Rings a little different when we hear it now with a different perspective. 
And I'm guessing it hits really close to home for every single one of us. The scriptures speak to the misuse of wealth and money over 2,000 times, speaking to the neglect of the poor, the stockpiling of wealth, the indulgent, luxurious living, the love of money. And it's something that impacts us every single day. This past summer, when we put out the word that we were doing this series and we asked for feedback, for questions, for topics that you wanted addressed, there's somewhere between 60 and 70 that were returned and about a half to two-thirds of those were questions or topics relating to sexuality or gender, which is a very important topic. But when it came to money, wealth, the misuse of it, tithing, stewardship, generosity, take a guess how many questions or requests were made. One. A true elephant in the room. We don't want to talk about it. We look at money and wealth and investments and all of that as this is something between me and, and my family or, or just this private thing with God. But, but when you, Chris, start talking about it or when the church talks about it, I get uncomfortable. I get mad. I don't want to be here anymore. This isn't what I expected you to talk about today, Chris. We as Americans, we, we love our materialism and individualism and wealth. You remember Cain when challenged about his offering, he got angry. A response, again, like I mentioned, often when this gets brought up in church. And then he murdered his brother. And I have a request of you today. You can be angry, but I have a family. Don't murder me, okay, please? This is an area where I need to apologize to you. This is an area that I have not done well from here. We need to talk about this because this is a discipleship issue. Money and our walk with God is intimately connected. But I've failed you. As I looked back over the last five years that I've been in this lead role, I have very rarely spoke on money. Yes, we spent a couple weeks during the Forward series and there was maybe one or, other two, one, or other, one or two other times that I can point to where we talked about this. And some of you have shared with me that the Forward series was just like getting hit like a fire hose. It's because we haven't talked about this. It's a failure here, and I apologize for that. But it's not a failure of that being presented. And so I'm sorry, and I apologize to you, and we're moving forward with this, talking about this today and ongoing. See, how we handle our finances is a spiritual issue, what we do with our wealth is a heart issue. Whether you have $10 in your account or $10 million invested somewhere, it's a spiritual issue, it's a heart issue. Jesus in Matthew 6, 24 said this. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But we try really, really, really hard. And we try to keep that separate. We try to, you know, dive into it a little bit with a little Jesus here every once in a while. But, and you cannot serve both God and money. We, we have to choose. Are we serving God or are we serving money, wealth, finances? Consider some of the things that Jesus taught about finances. And, and this is really small and I apologize. And I'll give you this later if you want it. Or you can go back and watch. Is that in Matthew, God honors sacrificial giving. Uh, the kingdom of God is worth selling everything. Life is more than money. Give to those who ask. Later in Matthew, be generous to those in need. Keep your heart open. In Mark, choose your soul over money. 
give it all away to follow God's law perfectly. God draws near to the poor. Your life is more important than your investments. God will take care of you. Don't worry about money and provision and invest in what lasts. And if this isn't enough, um, these next couple of pages, you're not going to be able to see all these. These are all different passages, and you can just scroll through these that talk to money, generosity, wealth, hoarding, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's even more beyond what's listed on this screen. There is an intimate link between money and God. He's entrusted us with whatever you've been entrusted with. Again, that $10 or that $10 million. You've been entrusted with that. At this point, there's probably a few questions, pushbacks that you have. Maybe one is like this, well, I'm not rich. I'm that person with $10. Because you don't know what I make. You don't know my financial situation. So what I'm going to ask us to do is just step back and have a greater perspective on what we consider wealth, what we consider to be rich. Look at this, uh, these statistics here. If we look in a global population, if you make over $100,000, you're richer than 99% of the world. Like, that's a lot of money. Well, if you make $50,000, you are richer than 95.1% of the world. That's 7.6 billion people. There's almost 8, million peop- or 8 billion people in the world. You're like, well, that's still a lot. If you make around $10,000, you are still richer than 68.4% of the world. That's 5.4 billion people. Perspective is powerful. You think of what the Lord has entrusted you with. There's a responsibility. And I love that we heard from Joan this morning what she's doing in Uganda. And I love that the choir from South Africa was here, the impact of $40 a month. This gives us a reminder of what it means to be rich. Perspective is powerful. So how are we faithful with what God has given us? And how do we define wealth? Different when we look at it from a greater perspective. Maybe another question rolling around is like, is Chris ultimately going to get to this point where he's talking about tithing, this 10%? Am I required to give 10%? Well, the short answer is no, but stay with me. Okay? In the Old Testament, we have this concept of a tithe, tenth. And so what the Israelites would do is what came from the land, 10% of the land would be given to the Levites, to the temple. That is 10%. But also, there would be another 10% given as a tithe of the feast. So we're up to 20% per year now. And then every third year, there was another 10% that was asked. And that was given for the poor. So you average this out as every year it's 23.3%. Now we can get all wrapped up in 10%, 23.3%, or we can move to the New Testament where Jesus taught us a different concept of giving. Taught us the concept of stewardship. That it's really 100% that we're to give because it's all God's to begin with. A steward is someone who's been given something to care for, but, but that person doesn't own it. Everything we have, when we read it in the New Testament, is God's, and we've been asked to steward it well. But the first time we see this picture of stewardship is in the Garden of Eden. God created what was good. He kept saying, this is good, this is good, this is good. And Adam and Eve were there to work the land, to enjoy it, to enjoy God's presence. Was it theirs? No, it was God's. They were to steward what had been gifted to them, for them to enjoy And then Jesus, he tells a story, one of his parables, 
found in Matthew 25 of a man who went on a journey. And he called the servants together and he entrusted them. He stewarded them his wealth. To one he gave five bags of gold. To another he gave two bags and to another one. And as the story goes, the one who had five bags doubled what was given. The one who had two bags doubled what was given. And the steward came back and said, well done. I'm going to put you in charge of more. Enjoy. But there was one. who had the one bag. And what did he do? Dug a hole. He buried it. He said he was afraid to do anything with it. He was afraid that the one who had given it to him would be mad if he lost it. So he kept it there. He pulled it out and he gave it back to the one who had stewarded it. And what, did, what was he called? He was called wicked and lazy. Then he was thrown out where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is this deep regret of him saying, I had an opportunity with what was given to me and I did nothing with it. And it's like, oh, this gnashing of teeth. And some of us sitting in this room, hearing on the line, have, have taken what God has given to us, our, our time, our treasure, our talent. We've invested it in the kingdom. But there's others who have been given and just buried it out of fear. And it's leading to this ultimate regret. And this time that we have been given by God, this treasure that we've been given by God, the talents we've been given by God, it's not pick one or two and do something with it. It's all three. All the time we've been given, all the treasure we've been given, all the talents we've been given, is to put it to work, to move with generous hearts. Let's flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's see what Paul has to say about this. Starting in verse 6, the first word is what? Remember. Why is remember there? Well, because we're likely to forget. Whenever I see the word remember, I pause, and I'm like, there's something important here that the author wants us to pause and notice, and also remember again and again and again. And so Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, for some of you, an alarm goes off, and like, oh, this is prosperity teaching. No, this is not prosperity teaching. This is the reality of the world we live in. If you garden, you put a tomato seed in the ground, is a, is a plant going to grow up and give you one tomato seed on there? No, it's ridiculous. There's fruit on there. There's tomatoes or corn. You put a kernel in, you wait for it to grow. You're not getting a single seed or corn kernel back. You're getting ears of corn back. There's fruit. So this is a very natural principle in the world. This is also a reality in your relationships. If you gossip about other people, you're sowing gossip. Don't expect or expect people to gossip about you. If you sow anger, expect anger back. But if you sow generosity, you sow forgiveness, you sow grace, you can expect that back. So in verse 7, Paul continues saying, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. What have you decided in your heart to give? Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So the point Paul's getting at here is that what is it the Spirit of God is moving in you? Not because you feel guilty because I'm talking about this or you feel shame or like Cain, you feel obligated to give. Paul's saying you got to give out of faith. 
Like what Abel did. The Spirit is leading. Verse 8 continues on. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So it's, jo- it's God's job to bless you. See, we've been stewarded with this and we invest it. It's God's job to give back to us. Take careful note that we are to work. We are to be intentional. Not just sit back and just be like, all right, someone bless me. That we are a part of this generosity. Verse 9. As it is written, referencing Psalm 112, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So this work of when we're generous, others are generous and they're blessed in this. And it results in this thanksgiving to God. Paul continues, and I want you to hear the blessings out of generosity. Verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So when we're generous, we're meeting other people's needs. There's a blessing right there. But also, there's expression of thanks to God. I don't know about you, but when I am blessed with something, someone blesses me with something, I thank that person and I thank God too. There's a a natural, or there should be a response to the person and to God for the generosity. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. So when people look and they see, this is not why we give, your generosity, one of these things of like, oh, the gospel they believe in, the Christ they proclaim, the Christianity that they walk in, oh, it is impacting them. It is alive. So others look in and see that this gospel truth is true. Verse 14, and their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. So not only is there thanks, but there's prayer that happens. Again, when someone has given me something, I thank them for that. But often when I'm praying, especially when it's fresh in the moment, I am more likely to pray for that person because of that interaction. And hopefully that's the same for you too. When someone has blessed you, you've prayed for them. So generosity prompts prayer. Verse 15 says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So generosity, when we take what has been stewarded to us that is God's and we put it to work, these things happen. Needs are met. God is praised. The gospel is seen as active and living. Prayer happens. And there's thanks to Jesus. When we bury it in the ground out of fear, those things do not happen. It's really been a joy to serve here over the last 20-some years that I've been here. You are a generous church. Overall, as a whole, the church is generous. I was looking at some numbers this week and thinking through this. Is that last year, you as a church, you you gave almost a million dollars for ministry to take place here and around the world. I mean, just missions alone, well over $100,000 went out to missionaries. Lighthouse, 
uh, over $11,000 for food and clothing and um, supplies. Think of the 132 uh, orphans in Monopani that are sponsored uh, every month. That's over $60,000 that's going from our church. Operation Christmas Child, which you heard about today, um, you giving socks, um, supporting a missionary that comes through, uh, even more so than the public needs is I hear some of the stories, and I know it's just a small percentage, of how you're generous towards each other. Helping meet financial needs or sharing meals, encouragement, support, prayer, time. There's a, there's a generosity that flows here, but we all have room to grow as well. In the book of Malachi, the prophet is discussing how uh, the followers of the Lord were, were not giving, were not generous, were not stewarding what God had given to them. And this is what the Lord said. He said, bring the whole tithe, this is Old Testament, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And he says, test me in this. This is the one time in scripture where God says, test me. Be generous, test me, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. If it's all God's and we are stewards of what is all God's, God will move things where he needs to through us. And he chooses to, to have us be a part of that. Because generosity results in generosity, results in generosity, and needs are met all around. So question for you. You've been given time and treasure and talent. What have you done with it? And what can you do with it? More importantly, what is God calling you to do with it? your time, your treasure, your talent. Again, the three categories of people that are hearing these words, the Abels, you're giving out of faith, joy. The Canes, out of obligation, I have to, it's expected, check in a box. Or the never give to God. And I want you to hear me clearly today as I am not saying you have to give to FBC. You do not have to give to this church. God's work is way larger than this church. There are opportunities all around us in the community, in schools, and workplaces, in the world. There's needs everywhere. So when I say give to God, it's not give to this church. But whatever your response in whatever category you're in, I ask you, how are you gonna walk away today? I hope we're all a little uncomfortable, a little convicted or offended, if you wanna use that word. But I want you to consider how you walk away today. I want you to consider how you're going to walk out of this church. And I want to give you an opportunity to walk differently now and into the future. And immediately apply what you've heard today. Now, as I mentioned, I love shoes, right? Many of you love shoes as well. As you came in today, you have dress shoes on, tennis shoes on, slides, sandals, Boots, some new, some old, some smelly, some not so smelly, some clean, some dirty. The shoes. You walked in with these shoes. Around the world, there is need for shoes. Locally, there's need for shoes in Calhoun County and in Marshall. Shoes so kids can go to school. Shoes that people can go to work. Shoes that people can out in public, can have health, 
Jews that help with employment. We've connected with a few different organizations, both locally and globally, that said, yeah, we'll take shoes. Absolutely. Dirty, we'll clean them. Broken, we'll fix them. New, awesome. But today, I invite you to be generous, to let someone else walk a literal mile in your shoes. There's no coercion, no guilt, no shame. But I invite you, if God is moving on your heart today, you've been challenged in, in any way by the Spirit of God, not by me, I'm going to invite you, take shoes, I'm leaving mine, to leave them. And in the same way, maybe you're sitting here today and you need shoes, or you have a neighbor that needs shoes, or a family member that needs shoes, and, and maybe they wear a 10 and a half or 11, 10 and a half, and they need those. Take them. They're yours. And we're not collecting all your shoes in your closets at home, so please don't bring those. Someone asked me after first service. This is just now. Again, no coercion, no guilt. Only if God's moving. And we will get these shoes to people that need them. So as we close, I'm going to invite you to continue to come along on this. I'm going to invite you to continue to wrestle with what was said here today and what's said in the future days as we wrestle with elephants that are in the room that we are really aware of and other ones that make us go, oh, seriously? And I invite you, we'll have discussion questions posted here shortly for you to take home with you in your groups, in your communities, whatever it may be, to discuss this further. How can I be generous with what God has given me? After service, uh, Andrew and Shirley will be up front to pray, but I'm gonna close this in prayer. Merciful Father, Gracious God, Lord, I thank you that we have the opportunity uh, to steward what is yours. Lord, the money in our account, the shoes on our feet, everything is yours, God. Lord, I thank you that you desire to use us to meet needs. God, I pray that we would, we would walk after you. We would walk as Jesus walked. God, with compassion and conviction. Lord Jesus, that we would walk generously so that your name would be lifted high, that needs would be met, Lord, that your name would be praised. Father, I thank you for, um, Lord, just the abundance that you've blessed this congregation and the households here with, but especially in a global perspective. And so, Father, help us as we wrestle through this, as we push back on this, as we, uh, whatever we respond to this, God, I pray that we would just wrestle through it with you and look into your word. God, may you do a mighty work in us and through us. Lord, I pray blessing upon each person as they walk from this place and they engage in whatever is to follow. We love you. We're so grateful to be together today. pray this in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen. May the Lord bless you as you go uh, this day. I'll see you next week.